All right, everyone. Uh, welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm an author and podcaster and writer. Uh, this is sort of an offshoot of my newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com. You should also check out Blocked and Reported, blockedandreported.org. That's my podcast, co-hosted with Katie Herzog. On the off chance that anyone listening here will be at the Heterodox Academy in Denver uh, this coming Sunday through Tuesday, we're doing a live podcast recording Sunday night, which we'll also be releasing on the feed. So uh, even if you can't be there, you'll be able to hear it. Um, the bit, There's already a lot of callers. I think I know what you guys are going to ask about. Um, probably the Washington Post Felicia Somnes thing is a big uh, source of fascination. Um, uh, I'll skip the spiel. I'll take a call. We'll see how this goes. I, I have some thoughts on it, but what's up, Neil? Oh, I actually wasn't calling about the Washington you can, Post. You can ask whatever you want. Um, so recently on Twitter, there's been this story about how Seven Seas, which is a English manga publisher, um, is like m- mistranslating things. And it's really interesting because this happened before in February 2021. And they were like called out and they had to like change things because they're like, oh, our editing practices were bad and we're changing things. It's not going to happen anymore. But it's it's happened again. And this time it's interesting because there was a series called I Think I Turned My Childhood Friend Into a Girl. And it featured a cross-dressing uh, male character. But then in the translation, they made it into a transgender girl character. And so even people on the left were upset about this change. And so it was like this huge – like normally it's like people – not on like the kind of left that are upset about this kind of like localization and like not faithfulness. But this time it's like everyone is mad at them, but they still haven't responded. I just thought it was interesting that oh, this kind of outrage would get yeah. more mad. So I don't know if you had thoughts on like translation or. I don't. I know that it's the kind of thing where oftentimes people will be mad that uh, the, my stereotypical understanding is like people are mad that the big boobs in the Japanese version were rendered slightly smaller for the Western localization or like lascivious dialogue, or sometimes it's actually genuinely shitty translation that changes a plot point in a video game. But uh, I will look into that. I, what's it called? I turned my best friend into a girl. I turned my childhood. I think I turned my childhood friend into a girl. That's okay. the English name. I will look into that. It looks very intriguing. Thank you, Neil. Uh, what's up, Caleb? Caleb got to unmute yourself. Hey. 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 So, uh, uh, about the Sonmez thing, like, I haven't been paying that, well, I've been playing local shows, but I haven't actually been reading much of her tweets, but does she ever, uh, try to lean, I'm just wondering if she ever tried to lean the fact that she's part Turkish because Sonmez is a Turkish surname, even though she totally passes for white. Uh, I don't. I didn't know that. I mean, uh, what? What? In what context would that sort of come up? In I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I wasn't really. I was just curious. It's just that I think I just heard her yelling about white people. It's just. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, a lot of white people yell about white people. I think. I, but don't, I don't know if she. Could, yeah, but, I don't. I don't think a half Turkish person could get away with calling themselves. I'm just thinking of the one. Very nice uh, half Turkish woman I know who yeah. is is white. I'm sorry, I know race is complicated, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if she yeah. said anything about that. That's a good question. Okay, and yeah. uh, I'm just curious. Uh, like, I would totally watch an Elden Ring stream, but have you ever c- considered uh, giving yourself an anime girl avatar? Here, they're very uh, popular these days. Yes, also a good sign of like stable mental health and and good Twitter discourse. So uh, yeah, I should have someone create an anime avatar that looks 
vaguely like me. I think that's a good idea. No, I'd be like a 3D one while you stream. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's horrifying. They're, they're, very, that. they're very popular right now. I'm going to give okay. a huge breast so that I can attract all the, uh, all, the, <laughs> all the fellows. Thank you, Caleb. Okay, bye. Eli, what's up? Eli, you got to unmute yourself. All right, Eli, if you get back in the queue, I will bump you to the front. Going once, going twice. Pope, AJ. Hey, Jesse, how are you keeping? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad at all. Uh, I was just going to ask you about um, how you think the Washington Post has handled this whole thing so far and what you think they might do uh, going forward and whether you think Felicia uh, will be reprimanded in any way or whether she should be reprimanded in any way um, or how how do you think this is going to play out? Yeah. Um, hey, the person asking in chat how you unmute yourself in the lower right-hand corner, there's a little microphone thing. So if you get back in the queue, uh, just just play with that before you get back in the queue. Um, I think as an outsider, although an outsider who's heard from a couple of people within the post who are not happy with how Somnus is comporting herself, it seems like the place is in total disarray. And I'm generally speaking, I obviously have a liberal stance. Like I, I think journalists should have somewhat free reign to tweet. I'm sort of conflicted on some of the specifics here. She's involved in legal action against her employer, and she's tried to spread the narrative that she was banned from reporting on certain things because she was an alleged victim of sexual assault, uh, which is a whole other thing. Read Emily Offie's story and reason to at least get the other side of that story. Um, uh, So I think in some cases, like for journalism to function well, I don't think people who who report on news reporters on certain subjects should be able to just tweet whatever opinion they want. I think it makes it harder for them to be taken seriously and for them to do their job. So the argument in terms of the stuff that happened before this is whether Somnes like really identified herself as an advocate on Twitter, which I I do think at that point it gets a little bit trickier. Um, Although, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns here in terms of what's going on now and how they should handle it. I just it's shocking to me that they haven't been able to exert enough authority to just say, like, look, we cannot have staffers yelling at staffers on Twitter. That's not how we handle things. This is not unique to journalism. Any institution where people are hashing out all these grievances online, it weakens the institution and makes it look bad. So I don't under I don't want anyone to get fired or lose their job over it. I'm just surprised, albeit a little bit grateful from an entertainment and content perspective that no one inside the Washington Post can just get control of the situation, that people are still tweeting about it days later. So, um, you know, I, I just I don't understand why they can't just say, like, look, you really can't do this. We have a policy. If you, I, I, There's a level of entitlement where it's like if you choose to work for a very prestigious place that everyone wants to work for, you're probably going to have certain restrictions in place on you and what you can do. When I was at New York Magazine, they would sometimes tell me to chill out on Twitter, so I would chill out. Um, I never thought to, like be like, no, fuck you. I can tweet whatever I want because I was representing New York Magazine to a certain extent. So I'm, I don't know what the right response should be. I'm just mostly baffled. They haven't been able to, to reel people in at least. It seems completely out of control now. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like, because I do think it's doing uh, serious reputational harm to the to the paper. Like their reputation has, take, has, has taken a nosedive. It just seems like they have no control over what their staff say publicly or online and their staff can just bash the organization if they want to, and there seems to be no punishment for it. But uh, and I don't mean like that they should get fired or anything like that. But I think they could there could be an element that they're paralyzed by fear to deal with her directly over this issue because like I think the law I think the lawsuit makes everything. it much more complicated too. They're engaged they're active there's an active lawsuit. I think she's appealing 
the dismissal. Uh, so I think that probably makes it much harder to fire someone, to be honest. Whatever probably, you think about whether they should. It probably does. I agree with you there. But I also just think the fact that like whatever steps they took, she is going to publicize it on Twitter like anyway. So I think that probably plays into, might play somewhat into like um, paralyzing them with fear a little bit. And last thing I would, would just say about this whole thing is that like it really uh, seems to me like it's what they were talking about in, in colleges a number of years ago, about the victimhood culture where you just appeal to, for any indiscretion, whether it's like small or, or large, you just appeal to, you know, an, an, an authority or the public about how you've been mistreated and about, you know, how you're a victim and this gives you moral standing. And it just seems that that's what she's engaging in again and again and again. And a lot of the stuff she seems to be complaining about, you know, the harassment that she's getting online, in the harassment spectrum, like most of it seems like reasonably mild, something like that she's retweeting herself as examples of. Yeah, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna write about this because this gets into the weird way we talk about online harassment. But yeah, like it, it, a lot of it is just people being like, "You're the worst. I hate you." And but also, this is what people are gonna get mad at me for writing about. If you're at the center of a Twitter shitstorm and you don't want to be harassed anymore, you can't you can't keep tweeting about it over and over and over. Every, anyone who has a Twitter profile, who's been that Twitter character of the day, knows that. You can't have it both ways. You can't complain about the harassment and then engage in exactly the behavior that will cause you to be harassed. More. I know people say that's like victim blaming or whatever, but it's just it's common sense. Like if you want to stop being – she's going through and screen capping dozens of tweets of people being nasty to her. It, at a certain point, it just becomes like an inability to just like – chill and not continue to pull pour fuel on what has become somehow like a national story that cnn's covering it's crazy yeah no, i totally agree with you there and like the biggest example was when a colleague gently like said to her please stop like that was literally as much as they said and then she used that almost as an example of a lack of collegiality and joining in on like the the pylon and uh yeah like that was just like i, I couldn't believe that like that that was being used as as another um, source of, uh, you know, victimhood for her. Like it was just really, really over the top, but it seems like, you know, it's like that, that it is this example of victim of culture and she's getting plenty of example or of, you know, mild chastising or people disagreeing with her. And that's just constant fuel for her to claim, to claim again and again and again that she's been victimized. And, and if that's what you're after, and if, if in a way you either benefit or want to be able to hold up that victimhood thing like look at all the people being mean to me on twitter you you can ensure more people will tweet bad things about you by tweeting about it over and over and over i have firsthand experience with this so uh anyway i, I think these are good points thanks eli i'll bump you to the front and try to uh unmute yourself jesse can you hear me i can hear you now yeah uh first of all um i'm really excited because i love the show and thank you uh it's um, it's really wonderful uh two things one, um, I feel like um, it's a very happy day because equality has been achieved on a very important front. Uh, WebMD, uh, on its Facebook uh, thing, it talked about the danger of uh, prostate cancer to people with prostates. Very big day for people with prostates, of, of, which, I, of which I am one. Yes, so I, I, you know, I've been waiting for this for a long time, and it's happy. It's, it's, it makes me very happy. The second thing is, I want to ask you what happens. Um, I feel like a few days ago when Helen Joyce talked about every person who's transitioned being uh, a problem in the same world and the same story yesterday, yesterday with a, you know, the trans 
kid who tried to kill himself and the, the family was uh, uh, put on child abuse watch, basically. I wonder, I know this has nothing to do with you and I'm not yeah. claiming it does, but I wonder what's your position then? Because I know that if you tweet something about any of this, then they'll just attack you, I guess. Yeah, the 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 suicide thing looks horrible. That I that just I just saw it in the last couple of hours. It it basically looks like a kid was checked into the hospital with a suicide attempt, a trans kid, and then when when Texas found out, or sorry, it looks like the hospital. We're not sure. Tell me if I've any this wrong. It looks like the hospital administrators, following this new anti democratic rule that the Texas HHS sort of just announced. Um, not H. I'm sorry. This was Abbott, the AG. Instru- I believe instructed, and I could be confusing this with the Florida one. Abbott basically instructed the state to investigate anyone whose kid is on hormones. Uh, yeah. And this kid, after his suicide attempt, his parents were visited by the authorities, who appear to be uh, yeah investigating the fact that they put him on hormones, which is yeah. absolutely horrific. Uh, I am a little bit leery. Sometimes I'm tweeting stuff like that because the irony of it is like people will be always people will often be like, oh, you're, why didn't you tweet about this? Why did you tweet about the other thing? But but when I tweet about something like that, I will sometimes get like a day's worth of just annoying bullshit from people who have decided that I'm transphobic and that actually I want pe- kids to be taken from their parents. And I also don't think on something like that, the hundredth person tweeting about it makes any difference whatsoever. So it's just it's not a high priority. But yeah, it's a egregious story. The Helen Joyce, quote, Joyce quotes I looked at briefly and they did look bad um in my past interactions with her i did not get the sense that she was like transphobic in some real sense i think she's very skeptical of certain claims made by some trans activists and i you know i reviewed her book and stuff so uh i can look closer at that i know i know the the quotes did not look good at the the very best she did not phrase what she was the point she was trying to get across uh gracefully i think that's the best thing you can say about the transcript yeah, I, I was kind of, well, horrified as a strong word because I didn't have such a strong emotional reaction, but it did, she, she did, it did come across, you know, it's often when uh, uh, people on the left uh, cry about uh, eugenics and, and this, it, it seems very overblown, but this was actually quite bad. Um, I, I think the only advantage of, of tweeting something about this is having something to hold up when people accuse you or, or Katie of only being critical of one side. Yeah. Um, um, but I know this has nothing to do with you. Anyway, thank you very much. I love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Eli. Chris, what is up? Oh, the one other point I should make is that with, with something like the Texas um, law, I'm a little bit more disincentivized from tweeting about it because like, people for multiple days were telling me to kill myself because the Texas thing was my fault, which is crazy, but I'm just, I don't necessarily want to poke that bees hive because it's not, it's not pleasant. Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Good afternoon, Jesse. Hello. First, uh, thanks for your work. Your writing, your podcasting, you and Katie kind of keep me sane through all this craziness. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about was, I don't know if you saw this, but I follow Rod Dreher to kind of get that side of things. And last week he posted a study in which he wanted to emphasize how much there was elevated levels of depression in people identifying as LGBT. And, okay, fine, he's going to do that kind of thing. What he missed, when I clicked on the link and read the study, which was amazing, one of the, there were two takeaways that kind of blew my mind. One, the first one kind of didn't, which is that they noticed that most of the increase in LGBT identification is bisexual girls which I don't think we should find terribly surprising. No. But the, 
The second one was that they said they, they have various data sources. And I, I sent you a message in the call-in app. I don't know if you got it. Got, got the Oh, sorry. I didn't see that. I'll said, check after this, though. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, but it said that various data sources have indicated that trans identification has peaked and is actually on the decline. Oh, that's interesting. Is that- I'm, I'm not that familiar with the data, but um, I guess I'll just have to click. Did you find that credible or were you? I, did. I don't yeah. I mean, My personal thing is that I thought, it, I don't know if you remember, but it was, it must've been 10 or 15 years ago when the gays started getting more accepted and everything. We saw the same thing. There were clusters of girls that like all came out as gay. Yeah, lesbian until graduation was was a thing. And I think sometimes still is. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, we've got the medical, you know, that didn't really do any harm. We've got all this medicalization now and everything. And that's obviously much more serious. But but I just thought it was interesting because, you know, these culture wars are like getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I just I'd, I'd be curious if 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 you would look at that study, because that's what you're much better with the statistics and all that kind of stuff than I am. And that's kind of why I appreciate reading you. Um, but I'd be curious as to what you think about that link and what that study said about, you know, trans identification decline. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I will check that out. Cause I'm very curious about that. I will say like one of the reasons the conversation is so toxic is, I mean, it, it seems so obvious that it doesn't need saying that teenagers are influenced by other teenagers and that for something as fuzzy as gender identity, there's going to be some social influence because your, your sense of like, Oh, I'm a female with short hair. I like playing softball. What does that make me? Does that make me a lesbian? Does that make me a trans boy? Does that make, of course that stuff's socially mediated and culturally mediated. Um, so that shouldn't threaten anyone to say that's the case. Part of the problem is like whenever this data comes out, there's like this angry insistence that none of this has anything to do with social influence, which is such a ridiculous position to say it's no social influence that I think people like me maybe get our backs up and are like, well, no, that's just stupid because we don't like stupid things. But I, I think most of this doesn't matter. I think in most cases, it's kids who like cycle through four identities and then just become a boring, normal, cisgender, gay or straight person. And it won't matter. Like you're saying, the cases I do, I am concerned about are uh, medicalization. So that's why I focus on that because I think the stakes there are much higher. And the question of how to know who's, who's most likely to benefit from medicalization is pretty big. Indeed. One other thing I'd like, as long as I got you one, I'd like to, you to comment on. I had gender dysphoria myself for many, many, many years. Long story. Don't need to go into it. But what I find curious is, so I moved in the trans community for many, many, many years. And what I find shocking and what, what I don't know, and maybe you can point to this, when did we go from, it used to be understood that the vast majority of kids that exhibit gender nonconformity are going to, it's going to resolve on its own. Then some other portion of those kids are just going to turn out to be gay. And then what's left are the ones that are actually going to turn out to be trans. And I thought that was fairly settled. How did it go to not being settled? So I mean, speak? Dave, I, I've written a lot about this. The um, Unfortunately, there's a small body of research out of Canada and the Netherlands showing that. Um, it doesn't show it perfectly. It's not, it's not ironclad research, but all the research we have suggested the same thing. And there's been like a very effective attack on the part of certain advocates to say that we can't trust these studies to tell us anything, which for, for reasons I get into, I just think is completely false. I think they do show what you're suggesting, which is that in these clinical samples, kids who have gender dysphoria, the GD 
often um, resolves itself in time. That doesn't mean that they, they won't be gender nonconforming in the sense of like yeah. being a tomboy or a little bit girly, uh, yeah. girly guy. But like, I, I don't know. I think that's like an underappreciated aspect of all this is like we had a pretty clear sense of these kids' likely trajectories, at least in these settings. And now we just have to pretend we don't know that. And it's just been sort of the destruction of some pretty useful knowledge that was, you know, came from decades of um, right. a couple they gender clinics. Stuff. Like, like, like they've been doing gender surgeries for what, almost a hundred years now. It's not like this stuff hasn't been. Well, the, with kids, it's been studied less, but, but yeah, point taken. Um, and the, the quote unquote debunking of the desistance research has been very, very bad. Cause there's now a lot of parents who just will not have good, accurate information about what we do and don't know about the course of a, a GD kid's likely trajectory. So I find that incredibly depressing. And I think a lot of journalism outlets have just rolled over and, and um, acted as stenographers. Yeah, indeed. And then just one last comment. I mean, what kills me in this whole, in this whole debate is where, where is the air on the side of caution? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's obvious to me that like, Okay, we really don't know what's going on here. We're going to try this and, you know, yeah, I mean, because in theory, right, like if you can help a gender dysphoric kid, like if that helps, sure, but we don't really know. Why are we pretending that we know for sure? I'm working on a very long, like, I think it's 11 or 12,000 word post where I just go through very carefully a bunch of studies cited by Science Versus, which is like supposed to be an authoritative science podcast. They they said in March, they had the gall to say that uh, puberty blockers and hormones are not controversial, full stop. And they cited all these studies. You look at the studies, uh, they don't come close to showing that. So I guess everyone keep an eye out for that. But but the um, the research on this has been so badly twisted and it's so depressing given that you're talking about vulnerable kids being put on serious medication. So um, these are very good. Yep. Yeah. Andrew Sullivan has talked about that. It's a, it, and he's the one that like, I was like, well, wait a minute. Why would you want to like medicalize your kid if he's just going to end up gay and puberty being, cause he talks about that. He's like, puberty was when I realized I was gay. That's what like triggered everything for yeah. him. Um, and so yeah. that, and then there's like, how do we know how puberty blockers affect the brain? Puberty affects the brain. How do we even know that? I mean, that, I, I, there's I a huge number that. of unanswered questions. Yeah. Yeah. How can yeah. you just say, ah, no, it's fine. Sure. It's fine. Anyway, anyway are, thank you. Time no, thank you for the call. People, this drives me crazy how, how flippant people are about this. Uh, Patrick, thank you for the call, Chris. Patrick, what's up? Hey, Jesse. I want hey, to back to, uh, can you hear me? I can. Yeah. All right, perfect. I want to bring you back to the world of uh, petty internet gossip and infighting among the Washington Post. Can't wait. So my question for you, because uh, I don't really know the ins and outs of kind of uh, newspaper rules, conduct, that kind of thing. My understanding was that the WAPO has some kind of union or at least a guild. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's generally similar to the Times News Guild. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I work public sector and we have unions and those unions provide protections. Whereas if I did something wrong, I have some kind of grievance or mechanism such that my employer can't boot me once I have protection. It doesn't sound like Dave Weigel had any of that kind of protection when it was announced within a few days that he was getting a month without pay. So I guess my question is, is what is the purpose of having a union if it's not going to protect the employees from employer uh, uh, punishment? 
mistreatment, right? Well, I, so I think in the, I don't know the facts of the matter in this case. One possibility, uh, which would make sense to me, is that Weigel, who is not a naturally confrontational guy, was like, okay, fuck it. I'll step away for a month. I just want this to go away. Uh, because if you file a grievance or whatever the procedure is, you're you're just throwing more fuel on the flames. I think that's one possibility. I, I, I do think these guilds tend to, in the background, quietly try to help people out. I remember wondering the same thing about Donald McNeil at the Times, and I, I think I remember hearing that, yeah, the guild was actually trying to help him out. Um, I think that resolved with an agreement he would resign. But what worries me more is like, uh, and I was tweeting about this today, there's some young people involved in, in unions and guilds who seem to think that part of the job of a union is to punish people for wrong think and to make it, like they will often demand, you know, when Donald McNeil was under fire, a large group of time staffers he, uh, sent a letter to the, the bosses demanding he be reinvestigated. And a lot of them were folks in the guild. So I, I just find that ideology so worrisome because like the whole point is you should be defending your colleagues and your peers. There should be some solidarity there. At least that's my understanding of what unions are for. Well, that's mine too. And that kind of goes again. So there's actually a legal concept called the duty of fair representation, where a union basically has to act like a public defender, where if you're a member of the union, you're entitled to that kind of representation and fairness, even if, say, your other members kind of want you gone. I'm just wondering, like, if the unions are actually doing any kind of, like, pushback or zealous fighting. So one of the problems we have with kind of, like, the policemen's unions is that they are very powerful and they will fight, like, efforts to kind of get rid of cops, which is why you see a lot of, like, kind of bad cops sticking around. They have kind of rights and kind of protections putting keeping them there, which means that you basically have to have a good employer who's willing to go through the force of, like, trying to get them off. And it feels weird that there isn't really that kind of thing there for the employees because if you're going to have a union that doesn't actually protect you, I guess it does bargain on your behalf, but I don't know. Unions cost dues and they have other kind of other kind of things associated with them. But the main thing is like protection in your job and job security. It feels just feels very weird. I, I understand that Weigel might not want to fight it, but I, I guess is no one learning from the past two years that like kind of going along with what your employer says is the best option. Is not necessarily the best option? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's a totally fair point. I just think, especially if like you just want to get back to doing your job and, and you just want it to go away. People don't in general, some, <laughs> I was going to say people don't like conflict and confrontation. Clearly some people do. I just don't think why was one of them, but um, those are all good points. I want to learn more about the labor stuff. So that's good background. I appreciate it, Patrick. No problem. Philip, what is up? Hello, yes, Jesse. I I guess my question was along with the last caller. It's just more like, what are David Weigel, Dave Weigel's options in terms of like, you know, the um, suspension and legal action he can take against the WAPO? Because, I mean, on one hand, you had Felicia saying that they condone that she was baffled that they condoned his actions, but like it seems to me that she's doing way worse than him, and she's allowed to continue while he's without money for a full month. Well, at least in terms of his job at the WAPO. Yeah. I mean, I I find it hard to disagree with that. You know, he tweeted an offensive joke. His response was to immediately unretweet it, apologize. And he hasn't said a word about it since she cannot stop tweeting about it in a way that's disruptive to the institution. So I, I, I think it is a double standard. I think from his point of view, he loves his job and he's worked at the Washington post forever and he doesn't, he doesn't want to engage in any sort of legal battle with them. And he probably, he 
just I'm repeating myself, but he probably just wants things to calm down and be able to go back to work. And he might have sensed rightly or wrongly this was the quickest way to get to that goal. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, I would agree that um, you know, to me, Washington Post is like, you know, after the new right after the New York Times, and it's like the actions that they're showing by allowing Felicia Somnes to continue to do what she's doing. I mean, isn't this like, don't they think it like takes a big hit on their reputation or that they probably should try to do something to salvage themselves? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would think so. I, I, I don't, I, that's why I don't understand why they're not tamping down. It, it comes across as though they're scared of her. Someone said in chat, Weigel's retweeted joke wasn't offensive. I mean, it's subjective. I, it, I just thought it was dumb. The joke was, I guess I'm going to mangle the retelling, but it's like all women are bisexual or bipolar. I don't even think it's clever. I, I, I don't wouldn't begrudge someone being offended by that. You're saying all women are blah. And then you're, I, I think it's probably offensive. The question is, should you be punished for retweeting a hackish, like comedy central half hour joke, which I think the answer is obviously no. So I don't know. I'm, I'm less interested in the question of whether it's offensive. People, people get offended by a lot of stuff. And I, I could, whereas in other cases, I can't even, like the Harper's letter, I can't imagine being offended your colleague signed that. In this case, I can at least understand people being offended. Yeah, I guess it was more, I guess, I guess also the thing I have about Felicia is like, I guess, you know, I know you're a sports fan. There used to be a joke when Jeff Fisher was the head coach of the um, Rams. What does he have on Stan Kroenke? <laughs> just makes me wonder like what does felicia somnes have on the washington post i know they do they come across as very scared uh anyway thank you for the call philip no problem ned what is up hey what's up man um there's a tweet going around i forget by whom but uh it was regarding the post leadership's response to all this and it speculated that um like specifically with regard to suspending weigel for a month i mean it's a pretty big deal that maybe they're concerned with uh, a class action lawsuit, some kind of discrimination lawsuit. I'm just wondering if you have any take on that and also kind of relatedly a level up if you've read any of Richard Hanania's stuff on the linkage between civil rights law and the rise of the uh, the Great Awakening. I'll move myself to the audience. Thanks. Uh, I haven't read the Hanania stuff. Class action lawsuit, I, I need to know what you mean. I mean, I guess you're saying a class action lawsuit from like employees um, alleging sexism. I, I don't... I don't think that's a realistic concern. I, I, I've only read the um, – the Washington Post filed a document sort of responding to her lawsuit, and the courts threw out her claim with prejudice, and I was compelled by the Post arguing there's just nothing here. One thing was a statute of limitations issue. The other was just like the Post, as a First Amendment concern, has a right to decide what the line should be about who's allowed to cover what. It's not a discrimination issue. They also point out that they clearly weren't discriminating against her on the basis of being um, an alleged survivor of sex abuse because they hired her knowing that. And then they put her on the Me Too beat. They were changing – they were banning her from covering stuff because she was publicly identifying as an advocate in their mind. Whether or not you think that's true, that's not discriminated. Like, it's, it's just very different. It's different in journalism to be like, I was raped versus I am engaging in anti-rape activism. Maybe journalism shouldn't consider those to be separate things, but it does, and I can understand why. So I guess I'm just saying given how I guess that there's still another appeal ongoing, but it seems like her lawsuit is is doomed. So given that, I don't think she'd have much luck luck getting like other people on board for some more ambitious effort. Shauna, what is up? 
Howdy. Okay, I'm here to talk about the important things. That's playing catch and eating Mexican food in Denver. Okay, so since I'm a good online friend, I've already done the food research on your behalf. Um, best queso in downtown Denver is supposed to be at Illegal Pete's. That's a good best name. green chili, which is very important. Uh, Colorado green chili is shit. New Mexico green chili is the correct green chili, also known as Hatch green chili, and that's going to be at La Loma's. That's so, incredibly useful. I appreciate you're it. Welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I'm practically on staff at this point. Um, and then I do have a question about the throwing catch because I actually don't remember the background on that. And are, are there bets being placed? And I'm assuming Katie's going to win if this is a competition. I don't think you could win a game of catch. On. It's purely collaborative, right? It's a team activity. No, well, you got to have like, well, you have brothers. I just, yeah, I've. In, in my household, it, it usually becomes some sort of competition, uh, non-collaborative. Yes. We'll have to discuss so that. I need to make sure I, I get a baseball. By the way, when I get there, uh, I think it'll depend on the whether we get get kicked out of the conference for trying to play catch, how much room we have, stuff like that. But um, I'm sure it'll become a competition, and that uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, because my thought is, I mean, are you playing and? At the hotel or like going to a We haven't really shot, thought this through. I was assuming in the hotel and like a con- in uh, one of the big halls, but I have no idea. And yeah, I don't want to get kicked out of the conference I'm, I'm speaking at. So we have not, as is usually the case, we have not really worked through the details. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, just just verifying, but just trying to bring some, some levity to the day. But I appreciate it, Shana. Thank you for the recommendations. Illegal Pete's yes. and avoid the Colorado green chilies. Hatch green chilies you can buy in the cans uh, in, anywhere, the tin. Uh, Josh is going to be the last caller. Michael and Rye, if you guys uh, – next one, if you get in the queue tomorrow or Saturday when I do this and you remind me to bump you, I'll bump you to the front. But Joshua, go ahead. Hey, is this uh, Jesse, the host of the Reply All Dating podcast, uh, Forever Single? Exactly. That's me. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, I just wanted to jump back into the Felicia thing. Um, And I I think it's obvious that she's expanded and distracted. It seems like there's a lot of whataboutism here. From what I can follow, it's dived into race and uh, and all other other things. Uh, But I am kind of curious. I mean, obviously, again, I think that Felicia is trying to uh, distract from what could have been an internal conversation. But uh, I'm interested from all of your years of experience in the newsroom, when she does bring up something like, you know, an old, you know, uh, was it an old men's club uh, in these institutions? Do you feel like something like that uh, exists in places like the Washington Post and the New York Times? uh, Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was a permalancer at the Boston Globe. That was my closest analogous experience. Actually, when Marty Baron was there before he moved to the Post in 2009, 2010, you know, I, I could see, I, I think there and in many places, it's probably true that at the, the higher levels, the folks who had really been doing it for a long time were disproportionately white males. So I bet there's some sort of old boys network. Um, whether that's still the case and whether 
that can be reduced to like, oh, they're just white men supporting one another. I'm less sure. It seems pretty obvious to me that newsletters are a feverishly trying to diversify, which is good, but but also that they're very often deferential to staffers raising these concerns, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. So I think it's definitely the case that there used to be powerful old boys networks in journalism. I think that's been chipped away at significantly. Um, but I can't say for sure, just because I, I haven't worked in a newspaper newsroom for a while and magazines are pretty different. Okay. Uh, j- just was interested in your thoughts. And I guess following up on that, I know, I, I think I saw a post from the Washington Post Guild that mentioned something about uh, being fully uh, transparent about uh, salaries, which would be fascinating. And I guess I'd be curious, kind of si- similar to like race versus socioeconomic uh, and it, obviously, it, it wouldn't be shocking to know that there was a whole bunch of white journalists for the long, you know, white male journalists for the longest time. But I guess I'm also wondering, you know, how those numbers add up when it comes to seniority um, uh, connected to pay versus, you know, like gender or race. Yeah, you got you got to control for it. There's a lot of like anecdotal salary information that gets passed around in journalism that isn't helpful and doesn't really account for that stuff. So um, that, that's a very good point. Okay, that's it. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Joshua. All right, Rye, if you get in the queue next time, I'll bump you to the front. Um, but for now, thank you guys for listening. There'll be a lot more to talk about soon. Uh, if any of you are going to be in Denver, I hope to see you. Definitely feel free to introduce yourself. Uh, but yeah, I will. Uh, there'll be another show tomorrow or Saturday before I leave for Denver. But as always, I would just ask if you enjoy what I'm doing here, tell other people about it. Get more people on calling, uh, and also keep an eye on jessysingle.substack.com for that very long, very in-depth, hopefully not boring piece on the gender dysphoria research. Bye, everybody.